Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. So here's the question, what is evil? What is evil? We're talking about it, we better define it. What is evil? Evil we might define as this, an immoral act or motive or person with malicious, notice that word mal, it's always bad, malicious intent to cause harm and harm is the key word. As you wander through life, have you ever found yourself asking why or more specifically, why God? The why question reveals one of our deepest desires to understand and in doing so have a sense of control. Dr. Corbett is engaging in a four-part series that seeks to explore the why question on four different fronts. Tonight is the second in the series and it's a big one. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for Why Evil? Father, we need your grace and we need to hear your Holy Spirit speak through your living word as we tackle this issue. For many of us, this may just be theory. It may just be an abstract set of ideas. But for some of us, this is real, it's painful, and it's so close to the bone, it's so close to home, that I pray, Lord, in the midst of this, you would just... In one sense, if we could just close the door and spend some time with you right now, may your word bring your presence and may people leave here strengthened, consoled and nourished in their spirit, in their souls today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at, we introduced last week this series, Why? In response to last week's message, Why Pain? had, um, as I shared with Tony uh, before the service, I had uh, a message from a long-term missionary who wrote to me, who saw the clip uh, every week. Ian puts a, a, a clip of the message up on YouTube and, and that was posted there. And someone commented in uh, LinkedIn, actually, that they'd been a long-term missionary. Their wife had uh, recently had a major heart attack and had then suffered a stroke and they said in, in all their time of missionary service and all their time as a Christian, 45 years in ministry, they said they've never ever heard a message on pain or suffering, which is for me not surprising because I'd never heard one either. And they remarked that oftentimes when Christians, and I think this is a part of my concern as we deal with each of these really difficult topics, oftentimes Christians have very what we might call simplistic responses to some of these really deep issues, issues that we're going to be looking at. We looked at pain, we're going to look at evil, we'll look at loss, and then we'll, we'll look at failure. And as we deal with these things, you know, they made the comment that oftentimes the simplistic response is whenever you experience something negative in your life, it must be because you've sinned. Now, I think I remember Job's friends said that to him as well and I think they were rebuked at the end of the book of Job by God himself uh, sometimes it's uh, you haven't got what uh, you're looking for because of your lack of faith that's an easy one to pull out because you know we who pray for people Sunday by Sunday I mean obviously we're full of faith and if you don't get healed or whatever that's that's your lack of faith I'm pleased hear my sarcasm I hope that you heard last week, as fortunately this long-term missionary did hear, that these things are not 
the reason or the occasion when we shake our fist at God, they are the occasion when we open our palms to God and today is no exception. I hope at the end of it, if you've had a slightly clenched fist at God, that that fist will open up and it will result in your worship because when those negative things happen, they are occasions whereby we should continue to worship God and it's your response to God's grace and if you understand God's grace it's not something we deserve so how many of us deserve to be healed when we ask God to heal us answer none of us that's why it's grace do you see that that's why it is grace if God chooses to heal and we have seen over the years God choose to heal and God choose to delay uh, certain medical outcomes sometimes by significant numbers of years so we've seen that in answer to prayer so really, this question, why, we could put in you know, two-word question, why God? <laughs> why? Why would you do this? And we're looking at four particular issues that I think are common issues that people do ask this question. Why God? Why did you allow pain? Today we'll look at evil, next week loss, and then failure and if you've ever failed and felt the pain of failure you will appreciate how disappointed we can be in God when he lets us fail (laughs) which kind of anyway I hope that we'll be able to process this so today why evil I really I do want us to to get real to be realistic about life itself to be realistic about the fact that We are all going to face dark times. The ancient Christians, the ancient mystics, when I say mystics, uh, these are people who spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time listening to God, talking with God, hearing from God. And oftentimes these people experience what they call, in fact one of them wrote a book about it called The Dark Night of the Soul. There are times in our lives when it may seem dark. And I guess if you hear anything today, I want you to hear this. That's actually normal. That's quite normal. It's probably not normal to stay there. It's not normal necessarily to think that that's the way it's always going to be. Scripture says, and it came to pass not to stay. So as we go through these dark times, having told you this, having said this, having seen it in Scripture, and I think of the preeminent examples of this, including Joseph, toward the end of Genesis, which describes his story, Joseph turns to his brothers and he says this about evil. You might remember this. This is definitely a candidate for being highlighted in your Bible. The evil you intended against me, God has intended it for, anyone know the next word? Good. And that's a theme that's going to run through scripture we're going to see. And that theme, as I'm going to conclude, is seen in no more powerful way than in Christ himself. So I think it's natural that we will ask, why? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? And this is even for those who love God. So here's a couple of things I want to, I want to point out. I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to put a different hat on. I'm hoping to talk to you right now wearing the hat of a pastor, of someone who wants to shepherd your souls, who wants to help you to navigate these inevitable dark times, these inevitable difficult times. And that's what 
I think pastors are called to do. So I want to wear that hat just for a moment because I want to talk not necessarily to those who will go through dark times. I hope I've already done that. But I want to talk to the rest of us. When we see brother or sister go through a dark time, and here's what I want to say to us as a pastor. When you go through a dark time, and as I'm looking out at many of you, I can see many of you have gone through dark times. You know that sometimes people come up very well-meaning and they say things that aren't helpful. You know, they just aren't helpful. They will give what we might call simplistic answers. They might give uh, little things that they are just, they're just saying because they care, but really they're actually unhelpful. What we see in Scripture, particularly with Elihu, one of the, he was the fourth guy there. He wasn't one of Job's friends. We actually don't know where he came from. But he sat in with Job's three counsellors, three friends, and he was just there. And can I point out, that is sometimes one of the best things you can do with people who are going through hell, just to be there. Heard the story of someone who had gone through unbelievable tragedy. And I asked them, how did you cope? How, you know, and, they, and they told me, look, there were people who just, they, they were frustrating. They, they said this and they, they just, it just didn't help. But there was one person, they said, one person who came at this time when they were going through their darkest hour. And they came, they knocked at the door, they didn't say anything. They said, I'm just going to go and put the kettle on. They put the kettle on. They said, look, you're going to do what you've got to do. I'll answer the door. Because people were coming, well-meaning people were coming. And this couple who had experienced tremendous tragedy said, this friend just came and just would just put the kettle on, make a cup of tea. And whenever the doorbell rang, they answered the door. Their response to the person at the door was, thank you for coming. Now's not a great time. Um, can I pass the message on? And as I spoke to my friend who had gone through what I hope none of us ever go through. He said, looking back, that was the most loving, kindest thing anyone ever did for us at that time. And I'm saying that to us, that sometimes we say things like this, if there's anything I can do. Can I suggest don't say that? Demonstrate it. So I have the example of a lady who's Hus- uh, just, uh, just terrible and, and people came out and they said that and, and then there was one guy who didn't he didn't even say anything to her and a couple of days later she heard banging and clanging on her roof and she just she think, what the heck she came out and there's a ladder and there's this guy on her roof cleaning out her gutters and he said, good morning. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Just leave me. I'll be fine. She said, oh, wow, that's weird. Then the next day came, and there's a lawnmower going in a front yard. Now, they don't normally start by themselves. And there's this guy mowing her lawns. And this went on like every second or third day. He saw a need, and he met it. And I hope that we can do that too. And I know that a lot of that already goes on here. So thank you. I want to continue to talk as a pastor, and then I'm going to change hats, as I, I said in a moment. 
we worship a God who is unlimited in goodness and power. Unlimited. I don't like to use the word infinite, it's particularly if you're a philosopher or a mathematician, you know that that doesn't exist. So I like really precise word here, unlimited power, unlimited goodness. And this God, because of his unlimited goodness and unlimited power, you would think he would have the power and he'd certainly be good enough to stop evil from affecting each one of us. So this is the question that we often ask, how then could these things that challenge our view of God how, how would he ever allow them to happen? And it's made worse, I think, when the cause of the, the evil thing that's happened is completely outside of our control. Nothing we did. There's nothing we could have done to prevent it. There's nothing we did to cause it. There's nothing we could have done to stop it. That hurts more. It hurts more. And I think this is the case with what we're now looking at with evil. The psalmist experienced this, and we we read in Psalm 35 and verse 12. They repay me evil for good, and my soul is bereft. Other translations have my, my soul is just emptied as a result. So I'm pointing this out to make the point that good people experience bad things. The psalmist describes it. So, here's the point. Good people experience directly or indirectly the effects of evil. We just, please, let's understand that. And here's the tragedy of it. I think of the late Christopher Hitchens. He grew up in a home where... His parents split up and Christopher Hitchens died of uh, cancer not that long ago and he became, he wrote a book called God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. You hear what's going on in his heart. And he grew up with a slightly younger brother, uh, Peter. And Christopher ended up shaking his fist at God because the minister of the church where his family went to seduced his mother and had an affair with her. And it broke up their home. And Christopher was rightfully ticked. And it led him to hate Christianity and to hate God and he famously said this I do not believe in God and I hate him (laughs) his brother on the other hand was it rage against God Michael is it rage against God was his book where he describes growing up exactly the same as Christopher but Christ got a hold of him and he came to Christ rage against God was his book But here's one of the clearest examples of where someone abandoned their faith in God and actually ended up becoming so angry. Rage was the way his brother Peter described their experience. And I don't want that to be our story. I want us, as I said 
to do life like we are in the car of the rally driver who's driving around the rally course which is going up a steep mountain where there's no barrier and if you've ever seen the dash cam it's really scary they're driving up and all you can see is sky and they're going a hundred and something kilometers an hour and the guy the navigator is the one who's saying uh 40ks turn sharp right now <laughs> sorry marcina but that's what they do. That's what they do. They, they, it's like one, two, three, turn, or three, two, one, turn. And so sometimes in life, I'll, I'll be a lot more gentle now, my son. If I see you fall asleep, I might, or a Zambezi beetle on you, I might throw a cushion at you. Anyway, um, life is sometimes like that. I'm glad you're laughing, my son. That's good. If we know what's coming up, it's easier to handle. And you see that, you know, that rally, it goes around and it's, it's, it's all cool. It's all cool. Uh, Dash cams don't often give you the best perspective of how cool it was before that. But. So again, some really good people in scripture and, and uh, Jeremiah is one of them. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 12, which is a prayer of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is, he's kind of ticked with God at this point in his life. He's a young man and God has, in his mind, let him down big time. And he says this, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And why do all who are treacherous thrive? And you might recall at this point, Jeremiah was experiencing not quite unmitigated evil, but close to it by his own countrymen. And he's going, God, there's something really not right about this. So if you ever feel like that, you're in good company. Hang in there. And this is one of the things I think Christianity presents. It's different to every other world religion because primarily Christianity is the invitation to have a relationship with God. And the beauty of relationship is you don't always understand the other person. And every husband said, hallelujah, glory to God, I think is what they said. So here's the question, what is evil? What is evil? We're talking about it, we better define it. What is evil? Evil, we might define as this, an immoral act or motive or person with malicious, notice that word mal, it's always bad, malicious intent to cause harm, and harm is the key word. It's one of the ways we can answer the question, do you need a set of laws to tell you what's right and wrong? And in one sense, no you don't because whatever causes malicious harm is probably wrong. And because we can use this as a, a bit of a framework, we can then consider that if that's what evil is, and I'm, I'm going to make the case that is indeed what evil is. It's designed, it's an immoral act or motive or person whose intentions are carried out with the malicious intent to cause harm, that you realise there's, there's actually different kinds of evil. Let me explain. I want to I talk about two. And now, this is where I'm just going to take a hat off and I'm going to put another hat on. I'm going to put a theologian's hat on just for a moment. And I wanted to say that, and I wanted you to know that, because for some of you, 
you're going to think, well, this is all very well for you, Andrew, having never experienced any evil in your life. It's all very well for you to be academic and, you know, theoretical and all the rest of it. You haven't experienced what I've experienced. And can I just say, that may be true. That may be true. So for a moment, I just want to wear this theologian's hat. And then at the end, I'm going to take that hat off and put my pastor's hat back on. Here's the first kind of evil I want to look at. And you hear people describe it this way too. Natural evil. Natural evil. This event shocked the world. This is a bit of a collage of the events of uh, what's something that, that began around Christmas 2004. This was called the Indian, well, it's generally referred to as the Indian Ocean Tsunami. The Indian Ocean Tsunami... A tsunami is caused by what's called an oceanic earthquake. An oceanic earthquake may, where the tectonic plates are in the the deep floor of the oceans of the world, there's four oceanic earthquakes every century, by the way. These oceanic earthquakes may be a movement of half a metre or up to a metre of tectonic plates. So you think, well, that's not going to do much, is it? Well, they create these tsunamis where the water is sucked out maybe for a few kilometres and then it wells up and it becomes a wall some 30, some 40, some 50 metres possibly high that then comes crashing in and it it comes crashing in up to uh, I believe up to about one kilometre maybe just a smidge over one kilometre into land and the, the devastation caused here you might recall on Boxing Day 2004, the death toll from this oceanic earthquake, which caused the tsunami, was 230,000 people. And people call this, this is a, strangely, this is an act of God. This is a natural evil it's referred to. So that's natural, natural evil. Here's another one. I was in America at the time when this happened and this was reported on the east coast of America. So Australian news items generally don't get that much coverage in America. So when this happened, it was like, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. And it was, it was a big deal. This happened on February 7, 2009. It's called Black Saturday. I don't know who took this photo, but man, it tells a story. What you may not see is on the helmet there, it says captain. This is the captain of one of the, the, the fire teams. And for me, the orange haze, and I looked out with the fires that we've just, <clears throat> and are still having in Tasmania at the moment, I think we had, I think it was up to 90 fires and 72 of them, I believe, were deemed uncontrollable. This is just recently, in the last two weeks or so. Even at my, possibly at your back door as well, I looked out at the sunset and the air had an orange tinge to it, just a slight orange tinge. And the orange tinge, there's no photoshopping there, that's just, that's just what it was. And this Black Saturday destroyed 2,029 homes and there was a loss of life of 173 people The fire was so intense, it was burning air, which then deems that fire to be completely uncontrollable. And the loss of life was tragic. We could go on and talk about the events at Denali. Now, for those that 
may be aware, Kim is a Red Cross uh, trained and is a part of the disaster relief emergency team and she could be mobilised anywhere. In fact, she was asked to go to Townsville this week and she went, when the fires were at Denali, she went down there during the fires at Denali and was down there for a week or two. When she came back, she said, you know, we went and knocked on farmers' doors and, and just to see the devastation and to hear their story of heartache and it was just terrible. And we drove down there after and it just, everything was black, just black ash. This is what we call natural evil. Here's why you might think, well, hang on, that doesn't really fit the description. I hope you can see why it doesn't fit the description. There's no evil intent in a bushfire. There's no evil intent in a tsunami. There's no malicious intent in those things. But yet we still call them evil because of the harm it causes. So I want to talk as a theologian just for a moment because this could sound cold. It could sound calculated. It could sound clinical and I'm freely admitting this is what we call abstract. Abstract means completely removed from the circumstances we're looking at it theoretically and that's this. These weather and, in, and environmental events are actually governed by a divine design that are designed to sustain life on earth and in this cold clinical environment that I'm now in for a moment Oceanic earthquakes, without them, without oceanic earthquakes, life on earth would not be possible. And there's all sorts of reasons why I could explain why that is. Essentially, they, they redistribute nutrients out through the waterways of the world, thus sustaining life. And of course, that's no consolation if you were one of the 230,000 or one of the people affected by the loss of life that resulted on Boxing Day 2004. And these things, these weather patterns, even bushfires, these are actually, they have, they're designed, I think, by God for, you know, we in Australia, above all people, know that eucalyptus forests are regenerated through fire. So here's the, the thing about these weather systems and environmental systems is that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 it says, And God saw everything that he made, including the systems and the physical laws that govern it. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God decreed that the, the systems that govern planet Earth, the, the fact that we have an equator, the fact that we have cyclonic weather which distributes heat and regulates Earth's temperature. Yes, it can cause harm, but it's actually designed as something good. Here's the second category of evil. It's what we call moral evil. Moral evil. Who remembers where they were on Sunday, April 28, 1996? I remember it clearly. I'd only been in Tasmania just over, or j just about a year. In fact, just under a year I'd been pastoring here. And this day rocked my world. 
as, as a, uh, a new Tasmanian, I'd never seen anything like it. People connected with our church were affected by this day. This, this is what we call moral evil. There may be people, in fact, now I think of it, there's probably people here who weren't even born then. So let me just give you a little recap. There was a local woman by the name of Nanette Mikak who'd been visiting the historic site that day with her daughters Alana, who was age six, and Madeline, who was age three. Martin Bryant, who may have had a mental illness, don't know, took a, a semi-automatic, or an, I'm not sure it was semi or was automatic, machine gun into this historic site and began randomly shooting people. 35 died, 24 were near fatal injuries. As the shootings took place, the young mother instinctively led her girls along a road leading away from the site, thinking she must have almost made it to safety. Bryant's yellow Volvo pulled up, came alongside her and shot her and her two daughters dead. This, this, tra this tragedy affected us deeply. I, I'd never seen anything like it. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Why Evil from our online store. As we've heard tonight, we worship a God who is unlimited in goodness and power. So how could he allow dark times? There are a number of reasons for evil in our world, and while we might not agree, understand or endorse them, God knows and is still in control. More from Dr. Corbett next week with Why Loss? Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.